We bought that home for 35 grand. We were okay. intending to put about 60 into it. And okay. we thought we were going to sell it for like, I don't remember this first number. I want to say it was something like 180, maybe. There was some holding costs in there and stuff and selling yep. costs. So it was, it was going to be a pretty good flip. And I thought I had enough in there. And then um, we got towards the end of the first $60,000. I was nowhere near like even halfway done. And so I went to the bank and I was like, hey guys, I'm gonna need to uh, borrow some more money. <laughs> I ended up having to do that twice throughout the project. I think we ended up going up to like 150, 175, something like that in renovation costs. So it was wow. like triple my original right. you know, budget for renovation. It was, yeah, it was a lot. Hey, what's up guys? In today's episode, I'm, I'm very, very, happy about this episode. And the reason being is because I love when our guests are transparent, right? Because not every deal that you do is going to be successful. Sometimes you're going to make some mistakes. Sometimes you learn from them. Sometimes you don't. Well, on this week's episode with Chris Marshall, we're talking about, you know, flips going wrong, things that happen, you know, mistakes that you make in the beginning and how you learn from them. And then also, you know, he's doing something very innovative with software to help fixing flippers really be able to qualify for funding, you know, easier by having everything dialed in for you. So let's jump into this episode with Chris Marshall from St. Louis, who's now in Ocala, Florida. And he's going to talk about some of the things that he do with his fix and flips and his rentals and how he uses software in order to uh, get more funding in the door for his projects. All right, guys, let's jump right into this episode. You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show a podcast to discuss the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. The We Love Equity Show is brought to you by Azria, widely recognized as an outstanding resource for real estate investors with exceptional education, networking, and support, along with profit-enhancing benefits and all aspects of real estate investing. Visit Azria at www.azria.org. That's visit Azria at www.azreia.org. Hello, 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 and welcome everyone to another episode of the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. I am your host, Marcus Maloney, and today we're going to be talking about a few different things, right? We're going to start from the perspective of investing in a small to medium area, and then we're going to talk about some lending practices. So come on, if you need money, this is the place where you need to be, right? If you need deals, if you need education and wisdom, this is the place to be. So on today, we're going to be talking with Christopher Marshall, Chris Marshall, 
who's originally from the St. Louis area, but now is in Florida. And we're just going to chat it up with Chris and see what he's doing as far as a real estate investor and what he's looking for in the future. He has some big, hairy, audacious goals. And we want to talk to him about those things on today because we want you to get a perspective of no matter where you are, you got to have an end in mind, no matter how big that end is. All right. So Chris, man, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks for having me. This is uh, this is awesome. I'm doing pretty well. It's a good day. Great, 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 man. So yeah. for those who don't know you and those who need to be introduced to you, because I didn't go over any bio or anything yeah. like that, please introduce yourself to the We Love Equity audience. Yeah, so I'm Chris Marshall. I'm the founder of a platform called Ari, spelled A-R-E-I-I. I'm also the host of the Top Investor Podcast, which our lovely host, Marcus, was on not too long ago. I think that's how we got connected up. But uh, yeah, I've been a real estate investor for a few years now and uh, just trying to help other people get started. So tell me, give me your background. So I know we were talking about like finished work with concrete and construction. Mm -hmm. So how did you actually get started in real estate investing? Yeah, after so that concrete experience, that was for my dad's construction company. We mostly did flat work, residential flat work. After we sold that company, was that just like the slabs, the foundations, or something? Yeah, that's mostly like driveway, sidewalk, stuff like that. Okay, um, okay, gotcha. Yeah, non non structural concrete work, all the stuff you see that annoys you when you're walking over it or driving over it. Oh, yeah, gotcha. <laughs> that okay. sort of stuff. And then, yes, yeah, so we sold that somewhere around 21, I think, not the year when I was about 21, about a decade ago. And okay. then I spent like a year trying to figure out what I was going to do and jumped around a lot of different stuff. Eventually made my way into building my own general contracting company where I was doing renovations for homeowners uh, shortly after starting that. By shortly, I mean like within the first six to eight months, I found a flip that I wanted to do. It was a really good deal. Uh, even though I was really bad at running the numbers on that first deal, but it was a really okay. good deal. And yeah, that was my first experience. It was brought to me by a good friend, another contractor in our town. And so what did you miss? So you said you was really bad at running numbers because a lot yeah. of people know that, Hey, real estate investing, it's not massive amounts of math. As long as you can add, subtract, mm -hmm. divide, multiply, you're pretty good. But what did you think you missed on that deal to make it not such a great deal for you? Yeah. I thought I was really good at running the numbers. I mean, I had a really good spreadsheet is really cool, you know, really, really in-depth stuff. But what I messed up was on the renovation cost itself. So there's just so many little expenses. This was a, a Victorian downtown home built in like 1890 or something like that. Okay. And there was just so many little things that I didn't think about or know I was going to get into once I start ripping everything out. We ended up ripping that place down to basically the studs throughout the entire home. We had to jack up a portion of the second floor. So we cut out part of the first floor oh, wow. to get to underneath it, had to pour a big concrete slab, put a big old six by six post so we could jack up the second floor that was like cantilevered out over the staircase. And then- the And this is a turn of the century Victorian. Yeah. yeah. So it was like a big old square two-story looking thing. Very interesting home and it was fun don't get me wrong it's way better than working <laughs> for people but there's a so, lot of sleepless nights in that one so what was your what was your rehab budget so what was your anticipated rehab budget yeah so we bought that home for 35 grand 
We were intending to put about 60 into it. And we thought we were going to sell it for like, I don't remember those first numbers. I want to say it was something like 180, maybe there was some holding costs in there and stuff and selling costs. So it was, it was going to be a pretty good flip. And I thought I had enough in there. And then um, we got towards the end of the first $60,000 and I was nowhere near like even halfway done. And so I went to the bank and I was like, Hey guys, I'm going to need to uh, borrow some more money. I ended up having to do that twice throughout the project. I think we ended up going up to like 150, 175, something like that in renovation costs. So it was wow. like triple my original right. you know, budget for renovation. It was, yeah, it was a lot. We tried to reduce some of the old cracked ups. Oh my goodness. The, not the stucco. The Like the, the plaster, lath and plaster. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. We tried to reduce some of that and it was just, it was so cracked. And then when we started, we, because not just was a portion of the second story collapsing. So we had to jack that up. We also had to fix part of the exterior foundation and raise all that up as well because the back half of the building. So by the time we were done raising up the stuff, just there was so much plaster cracked and destroyed all over the place. We just yeah. had to remove basically all of it off all the old laths as well and just go back up with brand new sheetrock. And so there's just a lot of like expenses that I was like, not. Nah, so I wish for. I, I wish you would have called me, Chris, or yeah. you knew me at the time, because <laughs> yeah. anytime you get into those old Victorians, right, you got that lath and plaster, and this is in the Midwest area. So, yeah, and you had to do structural work. So, yeah, whenever we go into a project, because I do quite a few deals in Chicago, and whenever we go in and we see plaster, we automatically know that we're ripping everything out or we're going over it with fresh drywall because yeah, that, that plaster starts to crack. Once it starts to crack, there's really nothing else that you can do with it. So you had a 60 grand budget on a turn of the century Victorian. That was what, probably what? 2000 square feet. This was, I think it was somewhere around like 1750. If I okay. remember, it was it was under two thousand. Okay, and it wasn't a huge Victorian. Uh, okay, not like one of the crazy ones you'd see on like Gone with the Wind or something like that. Yeah, it was, it, yeah, it was a it was a smaller town Victorian home. Yeah, but general, right? You got yeah. seventeen hundred square feet. You round that up, you might as well yeah. say two thousand. So two thousand square feet on a turn of the century Victorian. I would have told you immediately, Chris. Probably budget one hundred and twenty grand for your rehab. That would have just been without walking into the property, seeing anything, just I would have been like, okay, 120, that's our baseline. We're starting there as a rehab. And you came in at what, 160, 150? Okay. (laughs) And and so part of that was originally when I was doing it, doing the numbers, I I did all the work myself, except for a couple pieces, the plumbing, the roofing and the siding. And uh, so a lot of it was me planning on not taking a paycheck for the three months that I had planned to do the renovation. Mm -hmm. I think we ended up going like eight months out on the renovation. Um, Just me and my dad on there every single day and weekend and Uh nights. And so by the time we got a couple months in, I was like, I'm going to have to take a paycheck. (laughs) So... (laughs) That ended up getting included into the renovation budget and and had to take a couple extra draws from that. But yeah, it was a, 
definitely a learning experience. <laughs> and, and you know what? One of the things, Chris, is that, and, and this often happens with contractors, right? Because they're so used to the skill set and knowing what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. They immediately do exactly what you did. Say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to take a pay cut, uh, paycheck. I'm just going to go in and I'm just going to do this thing myself. And right, you have those ambitions, yeah. you can do the work, but it's just that time frame that starts to get away from you. And then it's the holding cost starts to stack up. And then, like you said, there's other miscellaneous things you tend to find while you're doing yeah. the work. So, but thank God you came out of there yes. slightly unscathed and you learned from, learned from that lesson. Now, yeah. let me ask you this. Yeah. By doing that, did you turn a profit? Did you break even? Did you lose some money? How was how was it when you finished? Yeah, I was pretty worried. So we finished up with that project. I don't remember what, what month, but we were getting towards the beginning of school year after we had listed it. I think it sat on the market for somewhere around like a month and a half, two months. We're getting okay. close to the start of the school year. And I'm like, we need to get this thing sold now or a tenant in it, or we're going to have trouble getting placement yep. in here. And so I gave it over to my property manager while we were waiting for it. I'd already purchased to complete it. I already purchased a, a second home and turned that into a rental. So we had a, a property manager we were working with. I gave it to them to do tenant placement. The day they found a tenant and I had signed the lease agreement, we got a full price offer for I think 200, which was going to net us something like 20-ish grand, 25 grand on the project, which wasn't much. It was a lot to me at the time. And then, yeah. And so I debated, I was like, man, do I just like not put this tenant in here? (laughs) Because I know then I have to worry about tenant problems. And it wasn't really done for tenants because we did like 14 foot tall store ceilings. So we had giant baseboards and nice crown mold and all all the works that you'd expect in a nice Victorian home. And I'm like, this isn't really built for a tenant, but I signed the thing. So we let them stay in it. They stayed in it for almost two years to the day because we did two year term. And then we basically were like, they they were supposed to purchase it. They didn't, they got, they vacated it. We took it back. I had to put something like another $7,500 to fix like debate Mm -hmm. damaged baseboards and stuff. And I was so new as a landlord. I let them have a giant German shepherd in the property. Oh, Um, and a new property. Yeah. So he destroyed (laughs) the baseboards and all sorts of stuff. And I'm like, okay, destroyed the the nice banister going up. And I'm like, "Mm." Uh uh uh-huh. And so, yeah, that was fun. Fixed it all up again, relisted it, I think at 265. Oh, wow. Um, Okay. And we got, I think we ended up selling it for 270. They went above. So all said and done, we made a whole lot more than I thought, or we were going to. And then after holding it for the two years, even with the added extra headache and the extra expenses, mm-hmm. we got to depreciate it a little bit more and all that good stuff from holding it for longer. But yeah. So market appreciation saved you there, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't always happen. So no. it was great that it was within this time frame where appreciation was rising annually. And because of that, you were able to be saved by that. So lessons learned, right? Don't allow a German shepherd in a newly flipped house. (laughs) Right. If if you're going to flip it, flip it. Yeah. Wait a little longer than like a month and a half, two months before you start considering put a tenant in it, even if it is coming up on school year and then still even double consider (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, because you could have had the option where you could have just contacted the the tenant and said, yeah. "Hey, we had it listed as a rental, but also we had it listed as a for sale." And yeah. unfortunately, same time we signed the lease, we got a full price offer on a property. So unfortunately, we need to sell it. So yeah. I was trying sure. to be a nice guy and stuff. And yeah, well, it it, it still worked out for you, right? Yes, it still it worked it out did. for you. I, I can't complain too much about that one. So what was next after that? So you did that one. What was yeah. next? And because I know you took away some key learning lessons from that to go yeah. on to your next one. Yeah. So after that, we ended up, we built a small little commercial building. Then we bought a, it wasn't turnkey, but basically a turnkey rental. There wasn't, it, was, it wasn't enough to consider it a burr in my opinion. There's a little bit of miscellaneous work before we could put a renter in there, but that one was cool because it's when I learned about closing credits. So I really liked that. And I, I try to use that strategy whenever I can now. And then uh, after that one, did another flip. Um, we bought a, a, a halfway done flip. A father and son tried to flip a home. They underestimated mm-hmm. the amount of work that they needed to do in it. So it was like all torn apart. And, you know, there's just like random material stuff sitting around. But yeah, did a couple more flips, a couple rentals. And, uh, and then eventually we moved into this downtown historic commercial building right on the, the courthouse square um, okay. where like all the nice coffee shops and all that stuff were in our town. And, uh, you know, so that was the, the last one that I bought up there. So I know before we jumped on, you said one of the things that you did was you tried to go for financing and you mm-hmm. stepped out and you were an entrepreneur. You quit your job, left your job went out on this ambitious goal and then yeah. your wife did the same thing also. And then yeah. you went for financing. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the things that I tell people because a lot of people, when they're getting started in the real estate, they say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to quit my job and I'm just going to go all in, you know, it's either do or die. Yeah. Um, what did you learn from that? Yeah. So basically if you quit your job, you don't have like, you know, consistent income. It's really hard to get loans for stuff through conventional means. And so I was so new, I'd barely heard of like hard money lenders. I think I had tried to reach out to a hard money lender. I know I, I know I tried to use them while I was in Missouri, but I didn't know many of them. So I only found one and talked to them and they were from about an hour away from me. And it was just really sketchy and hard to like figure out. I I remember thinking all that. I was like, man, that seems like a lot of money to spend just for, you know, a loan, Uh, you know, because I didn't know any better. And Uh then um, so eventually what I, when, when that first deal came across our plate, I just knew it was like a a screaming deal. And I'd heard, you know, if the deal's good enough, the money will find you or whatever. Yep. So I'm trying to figure out what I was going to do. I told, I, I got to talk to the actual owner and he was another real estate investor. I'm like, look, I'm starting out. I, I don't know how I'm going to get the money for this. I know I can. I know I want to. I promise I'll figure it out. Can you just work with me a little bit on the time? And this was at a different time. So people weren't like, mm-hmm. you need to have cash in hand today or it's gone. You right. Know? You know, I, I wasn't dealing with that sort of market. So we could wait. And so he gave me a couple of weeks and throughout that time I had put together like my entire plan. So I, I, I found a really good realtor who's really well known in town. I found a, a general contractor who had actually told me about the deal. They did the plumbing on the deal. 
Okay. They, they were my plumbers throughout all of my stuff. And then I'd put together this really well thought out spreadsheet. It was very in-depth and all this different stuff. And I'd put together this whole project plan about how the construction was going to go, all the timing and all that stuff, put in all these different expenses and stuff. And that I think a lot of investors know to do, you know, at least nowadays, they know to like put all this stuff in there. But I guess at that time, it wasn't really like well-known. I, I don't know. Okay. And so I took all this to a bunch of different banks. We were somewhere around 20 banks. I went to in like one day trying to find a lender to lend on me on this thing. And everyone kept turning me away. And they're like, you don't have a job. We can't lend to you. You need two years tax returns, all this different stuff. And I'm like, I know people do this. I, uh-huh. I, how do people do this? And so finally, I went into this small little community bank who nope. that contractor told me to go to first but I didn't listen to him (laughs) until the very last. It was like 19 or 20 banks in. I went to them and the main guy that I ended up talking to was like their commercial lender or something like that. And he's like, this is interesting, but we got to put this in front of the president of the bank. If Mm -hmm. you have any chance of getting this done, he's like, I think it needs to be this one specific type of loan product. And back then I didn't know anything about all these different loan products that banks have. And I was like, whatever. I just need 35 grand plus renovation costs. And um, so they brought in the president and he's like, yeah, we can do it. And what ultimately happened was they put me on a, um, it was a in-house portfolio loan through community bank. So they weren't going to sell it off. There was no secondary Mm -hmm. market or anything like that. They didn't have to abide by all these different rules and and laws around consumer lending uh, rights and all this different stuff. And basically what happened is, so fast forward a couple of years, we started this software. When I went back to them and asked them why they lent to me on this, this thing is part of my customer discovery idea validation stuff. They said, because I had a plan drawn out and then I brought them to people mm-hmm. who they knew and liked in the community. They knew that both the, the realtor and the other contractor were really well known. They knew okay. they knew what they were doing, that they felt comfortable lending on on that first deal. So that was ultimately how I ended up getting that first loan. Well, there are some key key takeaways there, right? There, there's quite a bit in there, but but the main key takeaway is the community banks, right? I always tell people when you're starting out, you want to go to your local community bank or your mm-hmm. local credit union, something like that. Not the big banks, Wells Fargo, B of A, and you know, Chase, everything like that. You don't want to go to them. You want to go to that small local community bank, you know, because it's the relationships that you build with those bankers. Like yeah. you said, hey, you know what? I got to take this to the bank president. Bank president comes in and you're, you know, you're face-to-face dialoguing with the bank president. And I say that because I do a quite a few, a few of the deals that I do with the small local community bank. That's so awesome. whenever, yeah. So whenever I need financing or anything like that, they don't ask for two years of tax returns. They don't ask for, you know, all of this other stuff. They know, okay, you've been doing this for a while. And this was even before I started doing it for a while. Yes. At, at the beginning, it was like, okay, well, let me, you know, see your, your scope of work. Let me see your plan and everything like that. And they qualified the project before mm-hmm. they even qualified me because it's a small community bank, they wasn't selling off the note. Right. So yeah. everything is held in house. So if they need to 
take back the property. It's an asset on the books that they can physically touch. It's right there in the community. And more than likely, they had they know someone in the community that will be able to take that project over in case that you can't get it done. So that's the power of having those small local community banks, you know, to where they'll loan you that money without being so meticulous on everything that you have to have. But yeah. another key thing was, again, you did your due diligence. You partnered up with people in the community. So they didn't, they didn't have what they needed to validate you, but because of who you were working with on the project, yeah. they had the history. So they were like, okay, well, he's working with this plumber and this realtor. So then I know they vetted the deal. So the deal must have some legs and must be good. And we're underwriting the deal. So now they're doing their checks and balances on the project and not so much on you. Right. Yeah. Um, so guys, you listening to Chris, that's, that's key on working with small community banks. I, I always tell people one of my best deals that I've ever done, and it's in that project, that property is in my portfolio right now, is I walked into a small community bank. It's the bank that I normally get all of my portfolio loans on. And I said, hey, you know what? You guys got any dead assets that's on your books that you're looking to get rid of? He was like, yeah, you know what I do? Here's a property address. Go and take a look at it and uh, let me know what you think. Went hmm. back and told him, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll buy it, but this is how much I can buy it for. And it was like pennies on a dollar. And he nice. was like, sure, let's get it done. So I was all in on that property for a little bit of nothing in this cash flowing 1200 bucks a month. Nice. That one deal. You know, and did they also lend on it too? Did they also do? Yes, a lot? Nice. yes, they also lent on it. So, did, what did they, they lend at a hundred percent purchase per, per they, purchase they, price? A hundred plus the rehab, plus, plus the rehab. rehab. So I had absolutely like, yeah. no money in this deal, right? And That's then awesome. guess what I did? Once we did the rehab, I went back to them, and then I was like, "Hey, you know what? I want to leverage this property so I can go and buy another property." And they lent. Mm -hmm you know, on that property so I can go and buy, you know, another property. So yeah. basically no money out of pocket. Actually, you know what? Uh, let me, let me stand to be corrected. I received a check at closing for <laughs> buying a the property. There you go. That's even better. <laughs> you know? yeah. so, so like the, uh, their loans are just so incredible. So that, that whole strategy and structure is what we built the software around is getting that set up for users. So like we just closed uh, a loan with that same bank that I did that first loan with up there in Missouri um, two Fridays ago. And mm -hmm. so they're still right now, this is crazy. They're a point above prime. They've been a point above uh, one point above wow. prime since I've been working with them. So we got their loan at 7.85. I think it's like, nuts like how yep. cheap commercial like doing those small community banks now not all small community banks would do this because like there's three or four here in it, just in ocala where i'm at and mm -hmm. i'm right now i think i found one who will finally work with our users and and do the strategy on more of a, a broader term for florida residents and uh or for florida investors and it's just it's super powerful. I don't understand why more banks don't do it. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's well, because the community banks, they have a vested interest in the community. In the community. Yeah, yeah, and those assets are 
are generating tax bases for the community versus some of those larger banks. They just want, it's just a address on the balance sheet and they want to know, Hey, what's the P and L that's coming off of this property. And yeah. we lent on it, how much money is coming back. So that's the reason why, you know, more of the big banks don't do it. So you were talking about a software um, yeah. and that software is Ari, right? So kind of, kind of explore and let us know kind of what that software is about. Cause it's about lending, correct? Yeah, so Ari, we act as like the operational hub for real estate investors, their their business specifically. So uh, we try to work with them on every area that they're going to need within like their business logistics. So like analyzing, bookkeeping, portfolio, pipeline management, um, stuff like that. We don't find leads. You know, we're not going to go okay. out there and, and find potential sellers for you, but like to run your actual real estate investment business, that's what we do. And then we take all that data and we help to show why a lender should work with you. So as you're analyzing a deal, we can take all that stuff and we generate out this thing called an investor confidence score. When you go to submit a loan to one of our lenders on the platform, they look at the deal, they can see all the numbers that you've done. Uh, you, they can see what team members you're working with and you all their credibility, just like those two people that worked with me on that first deal, their credibility lent towards my credibility and then the deal could stand on its own. So it just helps smooth the entire process out. It's uh, kind of a software version of how I got started investing. Yeah, that's that's mostly what we do. Ultimately trying to just get people access to cheaper capital, make it make these loans safer. The other big problem that we're facing right now as in the real estate investing ecosystem is lending on on investments is actually losing ground to all cash purchases. Yeah. So that means if we follow the same trend, you know, it won't be long before lenders or a lot of lenders go out of business because they just, there's not the demand for loans yeah. on these types of transactions. And I mean, we could talk about, it. is it because there's just a lot of people who have a lot of cash? Is it larger investors just rolling up their portfolios? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, so cheaper capital, some, other places. I don't know. Yeah. Some of the things that I'm seeing in the market, right. Is when you talk about the cash sales. So mm-hmm. right now, since inventory is low, pretty much across the nation, right. They talk about, Hey, there's no homes for sale. There's no home for sales. Right. Because mm-hmm. a lot of homeowners that bought in 2020, 2021, 2019, 2018, 2016, 2017, they had yeah. all mortgages below you know, a lot of them below 3%, but, but yeah. comfortably below 5%. So it's why trade out and sell my house to go into a mortgage that's going to be above 7% cost of capital is too high. But mm-hmm. with the investors that bought tracks of properties, you know, like your portfolio note holders, like Blackstone and, and, uh, open door and offer pad when it was doing all of that. Now they had all of these assets and with there not being any inventory, now they're starting to sell these properties and they're coming into wads of cash, more cash. And this is yeah. even for like the local investor that, you know, may have bought three or four rentals and now they're starting to disposition those properties. And now they're sitting on four, five, six, $700,000 worth of cash and they need to lend that money and put that money to work or buy other properties. So that's why a lot of cash infusion is, is in the market or liquidity yeah. is in the market now because, right, Joe Blow 
Marcus Maloney and and Chris, we got to we got to go and get a, a loan, right, to purchase yeah. a property where they're saying, "Hey, I got all cash. Let's just go ahead and get it done. I don't have to worry about interest rates." So, kind of walk me through through Ari. So, if I'm an investor and I'm trying to build up my investor profile, what are mm-hmm. some of the things that I need to do to input into this software in order to make me look as handsome or as credible as possible to, to receive a loan. Yeah. I mean, part of it is just like, it's simple things. It's doing the analysis correctly, doing it in depth. Don't just sit there and put, like, if you're doing a flip, mm-hmm. just, we, we, we call, I, I call it the level one, level two and level three renovation analyzer. So like most, a lot of flippers will do like a level one reno analyzer. They'll put 60 grand. This whole project needs 60 grand, whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And then I'm not going to break it down. You know, level two would be like, ah, we're going to put like five grand into windows and like five grand into countertops, whatever, you know, they're, they're going to go yep. through and name off a couple of different items, or maybe they'll do it by like room. And then uh, what I call like a level three is like, I go, we built it out in a way where you can go into every single room. And as you walk into a new room, you put in what exactly are you going to do to this pro to this room specifically how many units of tile do you need for the floor? How many you know square footage or, or lineal footage of um, baseboard do you need? Mm-hmm. Uh, how many gallons of paint? All that sorts of stuff. And you do that for every single room. And so you build out like, not only do I have my scope of work now, I can see exactly what material we're going to be using for every wow. single line item. And so you just build it out in a way where you, you get very meticulous. And all that does is just it shows the lender like I've thought this through like this isn't just mm-hmm. like you know some numbers thrown at a wall give me your cash and I'll go invest it and maybe it works out you know like this is really well thought out and for those that are getting started like you need every little advantage that you can find and so if it, yep. you spend an extra hour you know on the property walking through rooms trying to go through line by line what you intend to do yeah spend an hour do the extra work, you know, mm-hmm. it'll save you, it'll make you dividends, you know, instead of paying 12% or more to a hard money lender, plus some points, go to a community bank, pay 8%, you know, and they'll right. give it to you as a, as a basically a 20 year commercial loan. And yeah, it's just, just nuts how, how much cheaper you can get that money. If you just put a little extra work into it and, and make it a, a little bit, yes, it's a little harder, you know, it's a, not as easy and not as quick, but well worth it in my opinion. Yeah, I made the big mistake, um, Chris, when I got started was I was that I was that guy. Okay, walk into the house. All right. Yeah, this is going to be about 80 grand worth of work. Mm -hmm. You know, talk to my contractor. Okay, I got 80 grand for this. You know, go talk to private money lender. We got 80 grand plus the acquisition. Come on, let's roll it up and let's do it. And then after I got, you know, lost a little bit, you know, I started really digging deep into the numbers. So now, we have a spreadsheet, you know, that goes over everything. So I know if I, if I move a number over here, it's going to tweak this over here. And, and now I have the confidence knowing, okay, if I go to my, my lender and say, Hey, I need 80 grand for this rehab. Here's my spreadsheet. They can see, all right, line item by line. Okay. He's spending this on windows. He's spending this on this. And then they're, they're more confident and, you know, lending the money. And that's what I tell everybody is you want to be as detailed as possible because that Mm -hmm. will limit some of the mistakes that you, that you can make. Yeah, absolutely. 
And this is what Ari does. Ari kind of digs into that and provides that scope of work plus the lending plus everything else that's needed. Yeah, it's it does a lot. It's a pretty ambitious platform, I got to admit. But yeah, that's that's where we really like thrive is just on that per property analysis. We really dig in and built out a lot of cool tools, I think, for that to help help users out. And then ultimately you leverage all that to help them get better lending. Okay. So let me ask you this, Chris. So if somebody wanted to use the software or the platform, where do they need to go in order to kind of check it out and see, you know, how it's functionality and everything like that? Yeah. So it's the website is www.areii.io. So re.io. And then right on there, it's got all the stuff. It is a PWA, which stands for progressive web app. So it works on any device and better yet, you don't even have to go to your app store or anything like that to purchase it. You can just, if you're on a mobile device, you can add it to your home screen and it works just like any other app on your phone. Yeah. I'm also a techie. So like, if you guys don't know, there's a lot of really cool websites out there that work like apps that you don't need to have a specific app on your phone for, but yeah. So that's how you can get it. And then you can use it on your mobile device, use it on a laptop, whatever you want. Okay. And that's um, A-E-R-I-I, correct? A-R-E-I-I. A-R-E-I-I. Okay. Artificial Real Estate Investment Intelligence. Perfect. Perfect. So Chris, tell me what's next for you, man. And how can we get in contact with you personally? Yeah. uh, So anybody can go to thechrismarshall.com. Pretty much any contact information is on there. I think my cell phone's on there. So you can text me. Um, You could email me at thechrismarshall.com. However you want to get in touch with me. It's it's all on there. Gotcha. Um, And then what's next for me is so back to the story uh, of how I used to do flips. We, we, you know, it's really just a one man show. Um, occasionally my dad would come in and help me, but now I live a thousand miles from him. So he's probably not going to do that a whole lot. Yep. Um, so the way I used to do it is I would do really big, ambitious flips. I'd be there all day long. I can't do that anymore while I'm trying to build a software company. So I'm actually like figuring out what I want to do next. I'm moving more into the note space, um, writing some loans myself. And then, um, I really want to get into commercial uh, retail spaces. So I'm, I'm figuring that out. Yeah. All right. Well, much success to you. I'm sure you'll get it all done, man. You, you're a very ambitious guy and you seem to tread the waters and make it happen. So yeah. we wish you all the best. So Chris, nice. thank you so much, man, for being here as another successful guest on the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. You all know what to do. Get out there and take massive action. What do I always say? I say, education without application is just information, right? So education without implementation and application is just information. Take the education, apply it so you can be successful in your real estate journey on today. So Marcus Maloney, the Equity King, signing off. You all have a wonderful, wonderful week. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash MRCS Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. 
make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.